Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Josh Brown, how effing good is Dredge? Dredge is unbelievable, Scott Elford. It might be the nicest, most succinct package of the year so far, other than Josh Brown himself. Now, I should point out <laughs> that uh, we're going to be getting to Star Wars um, Jedi Survivor because we both played that. That's the latest AAA game that isn't completely on fire. Not quite. Might well, say. Some, some of it's on it's fire. Actually, that's a good comparison. Is, is Star Wars Jedi Survivor more on fire than Redfall? I guess, in oh, theory, no. by the time this podcast goes out, Jedi Survivor will have been patched. Yeah. So, smaller it, flames. At least when you like use the fire extinguisher on... Jedi Survivor, you're going to have like a pristine thing underneath the flames. Very I'm true. not sure that's true for Redfall. Like but Power I'm not Wash Simulator. Myself. Power yeah. Wash Simulator. Just get rid of all the, the muck. Precisely. Um, but yeah, we've both been playing Jedi Survivor, so we'll get to that. Um, obviously, we're one day late on the old winder because in the UK it's been a bank holiday. Nice, long, lo- lovely, long weekend. Oh, it was amazing yesterday. Was. I did nothing. I watched a little bit of Succession. <laughs> I played a lot of Jedi Survivor. I was. It was the one day out of the three days I felt I'm actually on holiday yeah. now. You know what I mean? Sometimes you don't get that feeling in the mm. weekend because it's too short then you're back to work yesterday lovely but it didn't mean we have to push this not lovely no it's true but it's still it's the wind up where we go into the latest video games the latest talking points in the industry we've done a lot of more news recently because there's all sorts of things going on with the cma block and the activision deal uh, or the xbox deal there's all this stuff going on with redfall launching in a horrendous state um over on the youtube channel there should be audio versions of that on the feed as well but go check out the video versions of that to very much get our immediate in the morning reactions to all the redfall stuff um but yeah in terms of the games we're talking about right now we'll get to jedi survivor um but dredge is this sort of like really lovely little indie game that i feel like every year there's sort of two or three indie games or maybe more than that that take on this next level of you really need to see this game and whether it's a specific gameplay mechanic or a certain feel or whatever and i forget where i first heard dredge i definitely saw it in various podcast notes for the podcast that i listened to as something those people were going to get to eventually and then you started playing through it and you were like you need to see this game yeah and then i initially played the demo and it didn't click with me for whatever reason initially um but having gone back to it and in a different mindset and just playing it on the train on the way home on the Switch, um, I absolutely fell in love with it. And it's one of those games where I'm now playing through Star Wars and various other things, and I just want to play Dredge. God, and I don't blame you. It's such a Moorish game. Yeah. For all the best reasons, right? I, to clarify, I looked at this game when it came out, and I thought conceptually mm. it was absolutely my thing. You know, right. a kind of oceanic horror, a small seaside town uh, succumbs to eldritch um, happenings around the sea and mm. around their huts and the we fishing We should say it's a fishing game as well, like well, primarily 
Fishing. But it is fundamentally a fishing game where you go out in your little boat, you catch mm. fish, you dredge up items from beneath the sea, you sell the fish and you sell the items, you build up your boat so you can go further away, explore more. That's the core mechanic of the game. Mm. And I wondered whether that would be for me because, you know, I'm not a huge fan necessarily of that kind of almost sim management because you're doing a lot of inventory management. You're doing a lot of time management Mm. because if you're fishing when it's dark, you encounter a lot of dangers, for instance. I didn't know if it was going to be for me. Scott Telford, it was for me. (laughs) I couldn't get off the game. And I need to shout out Ash Millman here because this was... A recommendation from her. I saw her absolutely gushing about the title, The Queen of Horror. And then she very kindly, and I'll thank her for this on the podcast, very kindly sent me a copy as well Mm -hmm. so I could play it. So thank you very much, Ash. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got a chance to play this game. (laughs) And she was absolutely right. It absolutely rules. And... You haven't finished it, have you yet? I'm barely that far through. I got Tell it um, the other day when like various things arrived in the inbox all at once, and I was like, oh my god, uh, embarrassment of riches. Um, so I've played about 40, 45 minutes of Dredge. Oh, I'm barely right. at the beginning of it. Um, my wife is far f- uh, further through it than I am. Um, but yeah, I've almost got a taste for it. I just want to play more of it. I love it. Well, I won't spoil any of the potential Eldritch horrors you might encounter out in your journey. I did find a big-eyed fish. This is it. There was so a bit of material in him. The beauty of Dredge is initially, it, does, it seems relatively unassuming. Assuming, mm. even if you know it's a horror game or horror adjacent, all you do for the first 45 minutes, all you do for the demo that's available is kind of just you go fishing. Mm. But at a certain point, if you're fishing at night especially, you will find an aberration, aberration they're called, which is a version of these fish that is, you know, mutated. It's mm-hmm. ghoulish. It's alien. It has something more to it. And eventually, a story unfurls from around the islands where you begin about, you know, missing former mares, about something uncovered from the deep. And the further out you explore, the further that's story kind of becomes um, more crystal clear. And I love that kind of storytelling through exploration angle that Dredge has because it's dangerous to go far, to go too far out to sea away from a port that's safe in Dredge. Mm -hmm. And the sensation of kind of pushing yourself further as you upgrade your boat and as you get more accustomed to your environment and the mechanics, that sensation is such a cool thing to have in a horror game, especially one like this, because Mm. it keeps things tense, even if nothing necessarily scary is happening because you're thinking, do I have enough time to get to the island over there? Will it be worth it Mm -hmm. to take the risk to see what's over there, you know? Do I have uh, enough hits left on my boat if a rock comes out of nowhere, Titanic-style, and, you know, sends me to the bottom of the ocean. All of those things are going through your mind. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a strange game, but what a great game. I kind of, like, I mentioned that it's so succinct because I feel like it's one of those games that has the perfect amount of atmosphere. The, the score is, like, gorgeous. It's yeah. very haunting. It's very ambient. But there's little pieces that sort of repeat little motifs that come out when you're just out in the sea, you know, various places around the map and everything. But just give it such a great sense of place. It's very much a headphones game, like sitting with your Switch with the headphones on and getting lost in it. Um, and like I said, I've not played that much more of it. But like I said, my wife is far further through it than I am and she keeps doing little jump scares on the other side of the couch and she keeps going oh my god there's eyes and I was like oh, <laughs> well there must be something under the ocean or something so I, I definitely know that um, things are further afoot or things are going to be more obvious in regards to creatures or whatever it is underneath you some sort of monster some sort of eldritch horror like you said um, but I just think there's something in a repeatable set of mechanics that are satisfying enough and something like a fishing mini game making that a, like bulking that out into a full game every game now especially for an RPG has a fishing mini game and yeah. if you're a certain strand of human 
human, you love that stuff. And I do. I love fishing mini games. Shout out to Stardew Valley's best fishing mini game ever. I love it. Um, and this one is like a radial one where you're sort of clicking different. It's almost like a lock picking thing. Yeah. And you're sort of like clicking in different like parts of a radial menu or a radial icon uh, to catch fish. But then that changes a little bit more based on like the segments and everything based on what you're trying to catch. And uh, and the mechanic to dredge things up is a bit different as well. But there's something about getting your head around that immediately that makes it the menial thing that you're doing. And then it's like, okay, that frees up my capacity to wonder about all the characters I'm talking to. Wonder about yeah. what happened to the previous fisherman who was here before that no one wants to really talk about. Um, or wonder about like the fact that you can go insane if you're in the mist too long. Um, and just the fact that like you're living a version of what kind of would be Eldritch fan art. Like if you yeah. told uh, Midgeny or an AI generated app to just draw something Eldritch horror or whatever, it would draw a lighthouse in the middle of nowhere with some <laughs> sort of creatures around it. And that's kind of what the aesthetic of this game is. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, you get to a point with the mechanics where you're almost not thinking about them in terms of the core fishing. And that's true. Like mm. there are so many stretches of this game where you've banked enough money. You might have done loads of fishing and mm. then you don't really need to do any more for a little bit because you can just go out, explore the main narrative, you know, do side quests and jobs for other people mm-hmm. um, that kind of get away from that core loop of, oh, I need to go out today to fish as much as possible to get back to get that, you know, money up so I can upgrade my ship. Mm-hmm. I will say this is a game that is 100% for the nerds, myself included. <laughs> I could just stop there, but I'm going to keep going. It for, is the for the nerds who um, loved the briefcase management system in the original <laughs> Resident Evil 4 because you do a lot of that because as yeah. your ship expands, you only have a certain amount of slots and the different fish you catch take up different amount of slots. And they're, they all like they're all tetronomos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all absolutely they're all tetronomos. Lovely word. Thank you for teaching <laughs> me that right more now. More games should use tetronomos. You know, in The Witness, when it, all the puzzles were based around tetronomos, I, I was like, do, do more of this. I sound like, if that's like Resident Evil 4's briefcase mechanic, yeah. I'll have to play it. Yeah, anything where you're placing um, objects in the shape of the original Tetris pieces, people yeah. tend to refer to that grouping of like four shapes as tetronomos. This is exactly that. Bosh. And I love that, um, you know, sensation of not having enough space mm. at a glance and then refiguring things and repackaging things so I can fit that giant fish in the back uh-huh. of my boat to go back to shore to sell it. That part of it for me is just, I, I love that. Like yeah. I say, and if people like that kind of system, I think they'll dig a lot of what this game would have had what this game has to offer because mm-hmm. it is surprisingly satisfying on a mechanical perspective. Like I said, mm-hmm. it wasn't my thing going in. I didn't expect to love that side of the game. I ended up loving that side of the game mm-hmm. alongside the story and the atmosphere and the setting, which I knew I would like anyway, but lived up to those expectations. That's, I mean, yeah, I want to spend so much more time with it. I don't know when I will because no. the, the faucet of games has been turned on. Um, but I want to get back to Dredge. Um, that's the thing that every day I'm not playing it. I'm like, I just want to play a pair of Dredge. Yeah. Balls to your AAA exclusives. And I don't need them. You are playing a lot of potentially good games I know I of know. at the moment in time, Scott. So that's a testament to the quality of Dredge, I think. I know. I, yeah, I think overall it was just we wanted to shout out Dredge because we're both playing it. We're very much not sponsored to say anything about it at all, no. but it does strike such an immediate chord and you do kind of realize like, oh, okay, I can kind of just sit on this and it's a good time sink. And it not too dissimilar to a farming game or not too dissimilar to something that is very repetitive, like a Stardew Valley or something, where you kind of know what you're going to get and they build around that. They take a certain part of it for granted and go around that. Um, we should talk about Jedi Survivor one of the most anticipated sequels in quite some time. I kind of like you, I don't know if you said this to me or I dreamt it, but I (laughs) forgot what happened in Fallen Order. And I feel like I had a conversation, I think you said, like, I just don't really remember what the hell went down in there. So I ended up watching like a video recap thing for Jedi Survivor. And then the game offers you one as well anyway. Yeah, thank Um, God. But then also we're jumping five years ahead and Kala's like a completely different character. So Well, that's it. It's intentionally um, 
obfuscated at the start, isn't it? Even if you remember what happened in Fallen Order, such a length of time has passed between the Mm. setting of that game and this game that it does leave you in the dark about some things for the first few hours. Like, where has this character gone? What's happened to them? Why is Cal in the situation he is in right now? And I like that as a storytelling... Very Mass Effect yeah. 2. Very Mass Go Effect 2. Go get the two. gun. I like that as a storytelling, um, you know, formula. Mm-hmm. And I think it works here because Cal, while I liked Cal, a surprising amount in Fallen Order, I thought he was maybe the worst part character-wise I of that game. I couldn't tell you his character traits. He's e- just there. Exactly. Yeah. This time around, from the opening, there's so much more to him. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into spoilers story-wise here, but mm-hmm. there's so much more to Cal. And more importantly, I feel like I have more ownership with Cal in terms of even how he looks, you know, the customization yeah. on offer in Jedi Survivor, that he's such a more compelling character for me this time around. And I was surprised by that. There's a lot in Jedi Survivor, Scott Tilford, that True. I was surprised by in a really good way. I was surprised that I had to wait for a patch because well, I have done the first two hours, maybe three hours, whatever gets you into the middle of Kobo when you first get to the, you do the whole intro bit. Actually, maybe that's only about an hour and a half or so. Whatever it is, it's the whole opening bit, the whole heist kind of thing that you do um, with the senator and whatever else. And then there's a bit where you go to another planet and then you can explore for a while. You get past a big old dinosaur and then you're in a big village bit. That was as far as I went. Um, going back and forth between the performance mode and the visuals mode and just like none of them felt right. Just, I hate that whole thing. And then obviously it was blowing up on social media that the game was on fire on PC and that they were looking into doing patches for that and the consoles, which thankfully by the time people listen to this, they should be available. However, our own Dan Durkin, the legendary editor Dan Durkin, said that his friend playing through on PC did have it working perfectly and the new patches made it, it won't even launch anymore. Cool. So that's fun. So I don't know how much all the patching side of it is going to continue. No, I think we should get this out of the way to start Mm. with because it's such an obvious thing that needs addressing that the game, like Fallen Order, funnily (laughs) enough, is not where it should be from Mm. a performance perspective, especially on PC, but it was disappointing to see those issues trickle down to the consoles. Fortunately, I'm in a very privileged position because the setting that I would have used anyway, quality mode, seems to be the most stable across the board, so I've not noticed too much in the way of issues. There was a little bit of stuttering in the early cutscenes that I got, and mm. the game freaks out on Kobo when I go near any water. <laughs> but I've just learned to not explore those parts yet okay. until the patch today drops. The game, it's, just, it's worth pointing out that even if you do quality mode, that's 30 FPS locked, um, which is way better. The cutscenes default to 30 anyway, so even if you're playing in 60, it'll then half it for the cutscenes, um, which isn't massively jarring, because um, obviously you have the whole cinematic, you know, the whole idea of 30 FPS being more cinematic. But the game's combat is so phenomenal. Oh, it's it's so liquid butter. It's what Respawn do best. Titanfall 2, shout out, Apex Legends, shout out. They've not done a third-person combat model like this before. They tried it with Fallen Order, but it only really came together in the last level. This one is just, here's a bunch of powers. It's as responsive as you need it to be. You can take on like 20 dudes or whatever if you need to. It's like five at a time or something. Um, and it just keeps up with you. Everything you think of on the fly, you can do. I just, I love all that. It's so good. You you probably disagree with me on this mm. because I've not tried performance mode, so I don't know what I'm missing. You'll never go back in terms. Do. I probably won't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm missing in terms of 60 frames per second, right. but just starting it on quality mode and having that lock 30, even that I couldn't believe how responsive it was. Mm. I was expecting it to chug a little bit here and there or the combat not to feel great. Mm-hmm. It still feels amazing. I have no idea what the hell they've done, <laughs> but it feels fast. It feels responsive. It feels excellent. I can only imagine how good it is if you do play on 60 frames per second and it hits that target. Mm-hmm. The first thing I noticed about this game, my friend, is just how much better it feels to play than the original. Yeah. And the original wasn't a slouch in that respective. 
in that perspective, in that respect. But everything in this feels better yes. from the combat to the movement to the jumps to the wall runs to the slides. It feels so good to do all of it mm -hmm. that it's actually eliminated the big problem I had with Fallen Order, and that was the climbing puzzles in some of the other puzzles that you got in that game, which I just thought brought the entire experience to a halt. Replaying it last year, I couldn't finish it, not because, mm. you know, they were that bad, but because it just wasn't fun to yeah, do that stuff, yeah, yeah. and I didn't once before, and I just wanted the combat here. Everything's so much more immediate, everything's so much better feeling mm -hmm. that it feels like a proper sequel, and that's a kind of strange thing to say about something that is a sequel, but it feels like the step up. It feels like, to me, mm -hmm. it's replaced everything that was good about Fallen Order, like, mm. in terms of gameplay mechanics and features. I just can't see genuinely anyone looking at Fallen Order and saying, oh, that game did this mechanic better because it just feels like it's improved on every single no, thing. No, literally. I mean, like, it's one of those things, <clears throat> excuse me, one of those things where you think about what a sequel should bring to the table and you think about how iterative Horizon or God of War are, as an example, as a first-party example or, or a big AAA example. And for me, you know, I was a bit let down by those games. I thought for God of War uh, Ragnarok, it only really felt like a sequel mechanically or combat-wise when I finally got the spear because then I was doing, I was approaching combat differently. It was a mix of melee with range stuff. Um, and you could sort of pin an enemy down and just think about it in a different way, not just the chains, not just the Leviathan Axe. Um, Horizon Forbidden West, I played in the, almost the exact same way as Zero Dawn. I didn't think the weapons really changed that up very much. Um, in this, they give it you get, they give you four different stances for your lightsaber. I've not got the fourth one yet, which I think is like Kylo Ren's lightsaber from what I've seen. I think so, yeah. I think yeah, that's like what it is. That, that's that what the icon looks the like. In the trailers, yeah, it's right. what the icon looks like. And uh, I've only got at the minute, you have standard single lightsaber. You have a one where he joins two together like Darth Maul, or you can split them in dual wield. Um, and then they sort of design uh, different skill trees around that, but you also have to, uh, a force skill tree and you also have a specific life skill tree or whatever for uh, health and everything. But already, you know, your starting point is literally where you ended at the end of Fallen Order. And I always loved that game's final level because you finally had enough powers and you were pulling a stormtrooper off a ledge or throwing the next one around or whatever. You start with those abilities and then they add on all the stances. And I, I always love a sequel that, like confidently says, we know what you've done before, here's more of it. Yeah. And I, um, it's always a weird line for any sequel to walk, and obviously the classic example is something like Mass Effect 3, where they just went, oh, it's a perfect place to start. And obviously that's more of a story thing. Um, but overall, I just love that they go, you're probably quite au fair with the controls, we're just going to give you more stuff and, keep, and, and trust that you'll be able to figure it out. And I think importantly, and this is a mistake that, not really a mistake, but an issue I had with Horizon Burning Shores, mm. like I said on when we talked about that last week on the podcast, that's a piece of game content and it assumes you're familiar mm. with the control scheme of Horizon and all of the upgrades that you have and how that game plays. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to compare it to Jedi Survivor, which similarly, like you just said there, picks up where the last game left off with all of these powers, with three different stances, yeah. with all of these abilities, and it doesn't feel like it's not off-putting. No. It eases you into all of those mechanics really well in an accessible way to the point where it doesn't feel overwhelming and then it can just hit the ground running. Like, like I say, I played that game last year, mm -hmm. uh, Fallen Order, but I didn't get to the point where I unlocked everything because I wasn't familiar with the, the game at all and straight away this game caught me up, the sequel caught me up, and I was just able to go. Mm. And that is such a breath of fresh air, especially compared to other games that kind of make the character too powerful in the first title and then have to backtrack. God of War, the original trilogy, did that all the time. Yeah, and if yeah. you play those games in a row, it's a little frustrating to constantly get hampered. But here, it's just, nope, this is the next step <laughs> in Cal's evolution. He's been a 
Jedi master now for five years. He's got all of these mm. abilities, and we're going to add stuff on top in a way that doesn't feel bloated. Again, another issue I had with Burning Shores, where mm. there's a lot of stuff, but you don't really have an incentive to use specific techniques or what have you, whereas here, there's a lot of stuff, mm. but it all feels focused, and it all feels um, purposeful. Yeah, I was going to say purposeful is a good way for it because I feel like every combat encounter, it's like I'm going to grab this droid who's like potentially explosive and throw him at a different stormtrooper or I'm going to do a group wave push thing to push the other three guys off the off the ledge. Just a way of thinking that I said like, like I said, started to come in at the end of Fallen Order but you can lead with it here. Um, and I quite like, it's a weird thing to give it a compliment for, but I like that it feels like, I like that it feels retrospectively like you couldn't go back to Fallen Order because Cal couldn't go back now. Yeah. And it's like the perfect middle bit and I hope they do do a trilogy and then cap it um, or do something like that. It, this feels like a perfect middle installment where he's really, we're at that point again as a Mass Effect comparison where um, if, if the entire trilogy ends up being a diamond, we're at the widest point right now um, and the most exciting part and the most abilities and everything else um, and they, you know you can have so much fun with that and I miss that feeling of like a confident sequel Yeah. Um, obviously the performance stuff, whatever but in terms of what they're going for, you can see it, you can see what they're going for. Absolutely and like I say, I've been playing a version of the game that runs relatively well, haven't had major, major issues, mm. so I'm judging it on that level, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And when I first booted up this game, you can probably tell from my enthusiasm, even <laughs> through my voice, I freaking love this game. Right, I okay. think it's a genuine game of the year contender, and I'm only about five or six hours into it. Ooh. I've got so much of the game yet to go, so it might crap the bed, but right now, <laughs> I'm genuinely in love with it in a way that I wasn't expecting. I was excited for the game, but it does just feel like a next-gen version of Fallen Order, mm. and I can't believe how big they've gone, not just with the combat like we just mentioned there, but that first explorable area on Kobo, I was so relieved that it was like just this big open space, and yeah. I know we've had a lot of big open spaces in games, but this felt like a kind of semi-open world approach to game design that I just want to see in everything. It's that wide linear thing. Yes. I don't know if you'll agree. No, no, but I was, was going to say, I think this is the future of the genre. Yeah. Because I feel like Dead Island just did it, and now that we're going to get here, and Naughty Dog have started doing it in Uncharted and whatever, it's just that idea of you don't need to do a ginormous 300-hour thing. Um, you can do the open world feel, but make it more focused, and you'll actually see everything in those spaces. Yeah, and I didn't expect that. You know, mm. I expected there to be open areas like in the first game, but the first game's level design was labyrinthian. You were going nice. through very um, tight, like, corridors to get to kind of open bits. It had a more um, classic Metroidvania style. It was mm. more Arkham Asylum, whereas this is kind of more Arkham City, whereas I was so shocked by the openness of that first area, and, oh, I don't need to go through this weird connective tunnel, this frustrating thing to backtrack through. It's just <laughs> it's just a big zone, and I can get across that zone however I like, and mm. there's going to be pockets of things to do all over, interesting stories over here, secrets over there, mm. and that was a kind of sense of openness and a sense of like player-driven fun that was more akin to an open-world game without getting the trappings and the failures of the an open-world game, the bloat of an open-world game, and mm -hmm. it's, it's threaded the needle kind of so well that I'm interested to see whether that keeps up as I go to other planets or whether it's just a mm. Kobo thing mm. or whatever, but even if it is just a Kobo thing, I've only done pretty much three main missions in the game because I spent four hours in that area <laughs> doing everything that I could because I wanted to. I tell you what I want to shout out, which is so few, it feels like so few games get this right, is the game's map. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I feel like so many games fall down on the map front and it's only, I can only really point out um, this uh, Resident Evil 2, like the remake, um, obviously like Village and everything. The Resident Evil's approach to maps where they tell you there's something in this room that you haven't found yet and you know to focus on that area. That's so invaluable. Um, And also like obviously all the color coding, the legend that you have access to in terms of the iconography, like letting you know like, okay, this is a side path, this is a main path. um, You know, have fun in this area, but this is what's going to cut you off with a cutscene or whatever. Um, Those expectations or managing your expectations is invaluable and they do such a good job here of telling you like that's the main path yeah. go faff over here there's like three or four things you can do and um, I just love that I feel like that goes hand in hand with the exploration and obviously it's optional if you don't if you'd rather just pick a direction and go you can um, but for me it walks that really good line between tapping into the completionist side of me that wants to make sure I'm seeing enough to get my money's worth um, and letting me choose when I trigger the next cutscene or trigger the thing that'll take me out of whatever the optional stuff is. Yeah, it's just really well paced. It mm. serves you up that content in a really smart way <laughs> where it doesn't feel like you're getting too lost inside stuff that the main quest loses focus. But like you said, it doesn't railroad you into a main quest that suddenly cuts you off from this lovely area yeah. that you were wanting to explore more. You just happen to go down the wrong corridor mm. and uh-oh, we've triggered a cut scene <laughs> at a point of no return. Like I'm pleased that it doesn't um, do that necessarily. And I think it's cool that it incentivizes exploration in a yep. way that the first game might not necessarily have done because in the first game you could explore and there were things to find but I mean it was a meme that all you found were new ponchos and poncho yeah, colors yeah. whereas here you're, you're finding a lot of customizable elements a in a crate. still you can find beards beard. and hairstyles in crates <laughs> you can find you know uh, lightsaber parts in crates there's just a little bit more in terms of the rewards but more importantly the rewards this time around at least I think mm. are the unique enemy encounters that you find the unique characters that you can stone 
stumble upon and talk to and take quests from, the breathtaking environments that you can find off the beaten track. It's all of those things working in tandem with the tangible reward that you get at the end of completing the quest that makes it feel more like an RPG than it does a character action game. No, and I'll back that. I think it's one of those things where, like I said, Respawn are sort of known for momentum shooters, and I feel like overall they've built this thing that kind of feels like a third-person Titanfall in terms of, like, you can just jump. You can't jump at any wall, but the, you get to feel for where you can go and what you can do, and I think that ties in really well with the ex, like extremely accurate map design where you can zoom in, you can see the different layers, you can get a feel for exactly where you are, and then, like you said, all the everywhere you are going to go is worth it. It's not like you're finding filler that's connecting two bits that you're supposed to be in, two bits of authored content or whatever. Um, let's talk about specific stuff, because I feel like we mentioned the stances before. Um, have you got a specific stance you've been favoring? You know what? I, you only equip two at a time. I'm such a loser, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Uh, uh, the, the stances and the lightsaber customization is almost entirely lost on me personally because no my favorite lightsaber color uh-huh. is blue, which okay, is the good. default one at the start. Uh-huh. And I just love the single lightsaber stance. Same. There's something about it. Just y- all you need is one lightsaber, one hand, <laughs> force powers in the other. Yeah. There's something clean and clinical about that that I really enjoy. And as such, I played through most of um, Fallen Order just using that mm. stance. Mm-hmm. This time around, though, I have been trying to experiment. So I've been using the dual-wielded um, lightsabers. I've been using the double-edged lightsabers, mm-hmm. and I have found them really fun. I think there's way more incentives to use them this time around mm-hmm. than there was in Fallen Order, and they have been getting me out of my comfort zone. I even changed my lightsaber color to orange, so oh, I'm, I'm growing. Orange. I'm growing. I'm purple. Very purple good, chap. Um, the thing is with the lightsabers, they make a really good point of, like, some, for example, the double-ended one, the Darth Maul one. Um, what that that one's triangle attack or its Y attack is a, is a fundamentally an area cleaning thing where you let it go and it spins around him. And I was like, well, that's good to have in my repertoire. So I'll always make sure I have a double lightsaber on one of the two stances. Um, I totally agree with you, though, that the single saber just, just looks cool. It's what yeah. you want if you're playing a Star Wars game. Um, the dual wielding stuff is weird so far because that one's power attack on triangle or Y is a stance where you wait for an attack to come in. Um, but it can't deflect anything. It tells you it'll deflect anything. It can't deflect red attacks, which I know the game also tells you they can't be blocked, so yeah. I'm like, okay. But you can go into that stance, and you're waiting, and then an enemy might just, might just do a red attack, and you're like, oh, let me get out of this thing, and you can't. <laughs> and so I had that happen where I was like, I'm never going to trust this stance ever again. Right. Um, and so it's one of those things where, like, other than Anakin grabbing the saber in episode three and doing the toils, or the end of episode two and doing the toils, I'm not too bothered about the this, the separate dual-wielding thing. I've been doing single and, and Darth Maul. Well, the dual-wielding thing is funny because when I used to play Star Wars Jedi Academy I was a dual wielding guy Mm. all the way. I loved it and I never wanted to go back. This time around. We dual wielded in the 2000s, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, we really did. Everything dual wielded. This time around, I've found more reason to use it. While, yeah, I also haven't gotten the hang of its uh, triangle move at this moment in time. Mm. I think it's really powerful when you're fighting single enemies because they're fast, they hit hard, Mm. they're really good. I think the game, at least for these first three stances, make them really powerful in specific situations and encourage you to switch between your stances depending on what you are facing. Like, Mm -hmm. there are so many times in Jedi Survivor because the game takes advantage of the next-gen tech where you have so many enemies on screen. You're just looking at, like, 10, 15 enemies that are shooting at you. And the dual wield is perfect for that because it can also deflect back mm-hmm. black, uh, more blaster attacks. Sorry, a lot of, lot, lot, of, lot of B words there. Deflect back blaster tra- attacks. Deflect back blaster attacks <laughs> because you can just knock so many... Um, you know, blaster shots that are coming your way back at all the enemies mm. in that rules. And you can't do that with even two lightsabers that are detached or one. And every 
encounter kind of says, you know what would be good for this? This stance. Why don't you try it? See what anarchy you can wring out of this. And you can always wring out some anarchy. I, I might have only just realized, is that why he's called Anakin? Uh, yeah, baby. Is that's, that what that, that is? That, that might be what that is. That would be very much a George Lucas gimmick, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Darth Icky. Yeah, <sighs> he's, uh, he's the kind of guy that would do that. I tell you what, though, speaking of lightsabers, speaking of deflecting blaster bolts and stuff, hardly any games ever got that right. And even Fallen Order, the timing was a bit weird on it. It wasn't that easy to see the bolts that were coming into you. You would, If you deflect at the right time, you'd send it back. But it didn't feel, to me, it didn't feel like that satisfying. Now you have so much more control over it. They make a point of saying, like, if a flurry of bolts are coming at you, like you said, use the double-edged blades, and you can, he does, like, a different animation where he sends loads of them back and I'm like that's really really cool yeah. that makes me feel like an absolute badass um, loads of little animation tricks like that where they want you to feel empowered the sound design is unbelievable Unreal. like if you've got a decent set um, you know, set of speakers or headphones or whatever um, every time you cut something with a saber every time you block every time you finish an enemy off or whatever there are so many big thoom bass hits and everything where it's like this just feels great it just makes you feel like a badass, right? Yeah. From the very first encounter that you have, which is just a few guys, mm. like everything you do ends with a satisfying punch. And there is so much variety within the combat that everything feels just not scripted enough to make you have those <laughs> moments where yeah. you kind of look around after you've defeated a bunch of droids or a bunch of stormtroopers and you kind of just go, yeah, I did yep. that. That was me. That was me. Do you want to do, you want, do, you want to do it again? This is wanna, why they quip in all these movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to run back the tapes? That yeah. was me. That wasn't the game doing it for me. There are, of course, canned animations that do cap off some of these attacks, mm. but for the most part, it's you. And I did, so just super quick, I did find myself, because you can, it has the bonfires, Dark Souls style, same as the original game, and um, where you meditate and it'll respawn enemies if you want. I did find myself, especially towards the end of the opening section, there's a couple of really cool runs of enemies, like gauntlets of enemies, and um, with a variety of enemies. I respawned them about three or four times just for the excuse of fighting them all again. Yeah, and yeah. that's so rare in games where I'm like, I am loving this combat so much that I just want more of it. Yeah, and I think the game's made a smart decision to speed those dark soulsy elements up mm. like i kind of forgot they were even there until i was on corbo and i died for the first time and i realized oh yeah of course i need to go back to the <laughs> quote-unquote bonfire the meditation yeah. zone as it's known here but the game sped up so much that it doesn't feel like it's necessarily even from that genre anymore it's True. it's so fast it's it's still difficult in in times but you have so many abilities to allow you to overcome those difficulties that it you could just sort of like feel like a badass again I keep using that phrase going through these gauntlets of enemies and getting out the other side banking those skill points and just going it's cut out all of the fluff yeah, yeah. that I thought was in Fallen Order and just focused on the things that they now realize people really like and that is this sick combat system <laughs> that just rewards you for everything you do and if you'll permit me I will um, I love that the combat system in particular has an almost Breath of the Wildian approach to okay. the chess games that you can play mm. you have your force powers from the get go you have pull you have push and you get a mind trick very early on I love that and it's so amazing to figure out what you can and cannot do with those powers mm. when i realized that one of the battle droids launches a rocket at you and you can push that rocket back while it's in midair and send it flying back to him and he'll explode and take out maybe someone right next mm. to him figuring out the weaknesses of the enemies through those force moves is 
oh my god <laughs> is unbelievable and it makes again it makes you feel like a genius yeah because even if it gives you a hint in the character menu or, or whatever it's actually putting it in practice in the battlefield that makes you feel like you've just unlocked a new level of combat intelligence i also love because that's the thing one of the best things about video games is literally giving you enough play space and letting you the, the creators having enough trust in the player to figure it out themselves I and mean, obviously so many triple a experiences guide you a specific way hit this button at this time to do the cool thing, follow this on Rails experience, whatever, and you'll get a specific thing that we've designed. And obviously a lot of people get really, really sick of that. I feel like this gives you just enough. And like yeah. figuring out those little moments where you go like, I, I did that, and that's cool. And yeah, the Jedi mind trick, even just being able to bust that out in the middle of combat. I couldn't remember if that was in Fallen Order. I don't think it was. I also can't remember if that was in <laughs> Fallen Order. Let's assume that it wasn't. Even if it was, I don't feel like it was as on hand and, and encouraged. The game literally gave, tells you at one point, if you just hold R1, and I think it's R1 in circle is the, the mind trick, um, to just do that on a guy who, you know, if it's one of those things where you see a platoon of enemies, one of them has a rocket launcher or something, I'm going to mind control that guy, and he's just going to start shooting everybody, and I'll just take care of the rest of them. Um, and encouraging that stuff, I think, is really, really cool. Um, in a wider sense, let's talk about story stuff and lore and Star Wars stuff, because I feel like Star Wars has been, like, in this weird place, in this almost, like, deconstructionist approach to what Star Wars is, and I feel like that was, you know, done to varying degrees in Last Jedi. You can pick whatever you like about that movie, but, like, it doesn't prioritize lightsabers fighting lightsabers. Like, mm. In fact, the lightsaber doesn't hit another lightsaber in that movie, as, like, Red Letter Media once pointed out. And I feel like now, you know, we've had the likes of Andor, which a lot of people really, really like, and we've had episode nine, and we've had this assumption, this uh, approach of just saying, we're going to do the more bigger high fantasy stuff going forward, the High Republic. We've also got another Ray movie or whatever it is at some point in the future. And now it's like, okay, what even is Star Wars? How much are we breaking down the mechanics of the way the galaxy works? How granular are we going to get? Andor was like a war movie. Like it's so, so granular and brutal and really like, you know, very much easy to parallel with a World War II occupation story. And like, that's one of the things that I really love about it. And I think now Star Wars, like as or Disney Star Wars, is trying to find this period that people refer to when they think of Star Wars um, and then set a bunch of stuff in there. And what does it mean to give you a good bit of Star Wars? Yeah. What period does it need to be in? What, what kind of themes are we pulling from? Um, you know, it, it hasn't been swashbuckling high-end Star Wars in a while. Mandalorian's tried to be that, but obviously the newest season hasn't gone down very well. But I feel like getting you on board with a character, you wanting them to succeed, everything's going to be okay in the end, it hasn't really nailed that in quite some time. Mm. It's been quite obsessed with picking itself apart a little bit, which can be brilliant. I can't, I, like I said, Andor is my favorite Star Wars thing in like eight years. No, it's a interesting sort of thing to talk about because I'm not into Star Wars enough to have picked up on the mm. kind of wider trends, as it were. Either, to be uh, fair, it's just how I feel about it. Right, fair yeah. enough. Like, I've not watched uh, the new season of The Mandalorian. I didn't watch Book of Boba Fett. I've not watched Andor yet. I mm. will definitely get to that. There's a lot of content now that I haven't seen, and I right. don't really know the trajectory it's on right now. But I will say what's great about Jedi Survivor is its sense of place, or yeah. at least my in my opinion, it's the sense of place that it builds. Like, even in the first area on Coruscant, you know, a place we've seen before in the prequel trilogy, like, seeing that in this area, area? In this era, <laughs> but more importantly, seeing it specific to this game is just really fascinating. It's not yeah. just the next-gen visuals on display, which do look awesome, where you've got, like, these speeders in the background of this bustling city happening <laughs> around you. It's small things like... Cal is a wanted person after the stuff he does in that opening mission, and you'll see his face pop up on billboards, and it's like, this is a Jedi, he is wanted, mm. look out for him, we are on lockdown. Those little details, I think, go a long way in kind of, like, 
making you feel like part of the Star Wars universe, for lack of a better that term, whole creating bit. a sense of setting. Yeah, man, that whole bit in Coruscant, I was like, just set everything here. Yeah, this is this yeah. is incredible. I mean, obviously, it's because I'm a huge fan of like synthwave music, Blade Runner stuff, cyberpunky stuff. But I was like, they kind of tap into that every now and then in Star Wars, where they sort of like lean into an almost Blade Runner style, more serious, gritty. Uh, neo-noir future type thing and I was like then yeah that whole opening bit worked really really well um, it's placement in the timeline puts it um, before or that, in that huge gap in between episode 3 and 4 which is kind of what I was getting at in terms of what is the optimum place to put Star Wars stories from Disney's point of view so far they've not massively gone wrong with setting stuff between episodes 3 and 4 at least in terms of an initial season of something mm-hmm. um, and that's very much when how Andor did so well because it's like the Empire is still a threat and everything else and so in this, um, I think it works. Obviously, they're mentioning characters like Saw Gerrera. And one character mentions a gun dock at one point, which is from episode two. And it's like, you get little things where they're sort of just picking and choosing. There's battle droids in this from episode one. That was such, I didn't know battle they're droids really funny in the as game. Well. In the, they're so funny in this game. <laughs> like, I won't kill them until I hear their banter that they have. And then the banter is always great. And they always get into scrapes. There's always like a boulder falling on them or like a monster coming out to just absolutely decimate them. Bring back NPC conversations. Like, that used to be a thing you would hang back in a game and listen to all the dialogue and it's just like I'm not being an old man but I love that stuff me too and I think it's a it's a cool way to just keep the enemy variety high like mm. you you fall a lot of stormtroopers and a lot of creatures in Fallen Order and you'll fight a lot of stormtroopers and a lot of creatures in here but just changing it up with like different raiders or mm. battle droids and different versions of battle droids just keeps you on your toes it, it, it's a way to you know keep the combat fresh not have it feel stale not like you're just going through another you know set of stormtroopers troopers with mm. batons and snipers <laughs> firing at you from a little while away it's just by embracing that wider star wars law recontextualizing some of it surprising you with some appearances it's just it's a cool way to remix things i won't get into spoilers specifically about which eras this might refer to right. but you do get some interesting things obviously you had the jedi temples in the original games and those are back here so mm. you get this kind of wider sense of the star wars universe as a big big hole through those mm-hmm. like you did in fallen order and i think that's welcome as well because it means that while you are in a setting of between episode three and episode four it's a game that's kind of bigger than that and isn't Mm. constrained to the limitations that that might setting may throw up in Mm. terms of the established law and mythology Mm. my thing as well is that i find that it's like it's super like it's charming it feels like a lot like the depth like to even come up with something like a bunch of npc conversations or a bunch of um, extra little details in there implies a level of care and attention that it feels like something like Redfall hasn't been given or whatever. Like the idea of a game having the time. Someone had to sit down and write those you know, humorous conversations that you may or may not stumble upon. Um, and I, I'm using Redfall as an example of something that just is on fire in terms of performance or whatever that wasn't given the time for right now. Um, but I feel like those little touches come through where it's like Respawn knew what they were making. They've executed on it. Um, they want you to see all these little things and they're letting you sort of, in that particular instance, like be the punchline to that joke. Like yeah. a, Droid's talking about going up the ranks and doing a good job and like, oh my God, I love the view from here and you just come up from below him and cut his head off or whatever. That's it. Like the, the sense of personality in the game, yeah. I think is incredible across the uh, just the visual design of places that that little kind of, you know, incidental dialogue being mm. at the heart of all of these um, encounters, the wider story, the characterization, the amount of characters that are in there, even at this, you know, early five, six hour period that I'm at. And um, that was surprising to me because sometimes you run the risk of a Star Wars universe feeling a little bit... Um, 
not artificial, like but too maybe small. yeah, too yeah. small, too small. Like you kind of see the iconography they're pulling from, you see the references they're making. It doesn't feel like there's a real sense of character at the heart of it, other mm-hmm. than the established tropes and conventions that we expect from a Star Wars. Whereas here, it's <laughs> like no respawn seemed to really care about it, and it's 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 a shame because mm-hmm. obviously the game has technical issues, but if you kind of divorce that from what I'm about to say in terms of I'm not referencing the frame rate, I'm not referencing Mm. the performance modes, in terms of mechanics, in terms of storyline, in terms of world events, it's such a polished game. Yeah, It's got that level of care and attention to it where all of those features interlock in a really perfect way where it seems like they've thought about everything, nothing seems like it's just being chucked in, mm-hmm. and that's such a shame because I want to call it an outright polished experience, but they've kind of got all of that right, but then, oh no, the frame rate it absolutely so... tanks, and you can't go near water and the cutscenes don't work, and it's like, oh man, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it should have been polished there as well, but it's not. Yeah, that's it. I'm hoping that this uh, round of patches, and they've said there's more coming, but I'm hoping this initial round of patches um, does fix that stuff, like just, it gets or gets close enough to it, because it's one of those things, there's nothing more annoying, or like, it's a weird instance and we only really get this in gaming where it's you can tell it just needs one more patch or it's they're so close Um, and it's one of those things where you end up sitting there maybe in an afternoon where you have some free time you finally have time to play this thing and you just sit there with controller in hand going I should probably just wait yeah I hate that feeling personally Um, but it's one of those things where you know once they do get rid of those little bugbears those little addendums to all the little sentences that we're saying where we say oh no but also the patches once that stuff's out the way everyone can just enjoy the stuff that is here and it doesn't excuse the fact that it launched in this state but I can't wait to celebrate this game more. That's it. That's it. And it's not as much of a salvage job as something like Cyberpunk 2077, no. in my opinion. I do think it's only going to take a couple of patches, at least on the consoles. For me, it's just uh, frame rate. Yeah, totally. yeah, at least on the consoles, this thing should be in ship shape soon. The PC thing is an entirely different beast that is completely <laughs> inexcusable. And it is a shame because I want to tell everyone listening to this to go out and buy it right now, <laughs> but I can't in good conscience do that because I don't want you to get a bad version of the game, especially yeah. for this price. I almost didn't get it myself. On Friday night, when, we, when the game came out, and we had this long weekend. Mm. I went in the PlayStation store. It was £70. I looked at the reviews about the performance issues, and I thought, I can't buy mm. it. The only reason I got it this early is because, one, I knew I wanted to talk about it on this uh, podcast, mm. and I knew we were going to do content on it, so I was encouraged by work to get it. And two, because my lovely girlfriend said, you know what? I want to see you play this game. Oh, I'll give cool. you some money towards it, so thank you very well, much. You I didn't have to front the £70 myself. <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of uh, state we're in right now where you have to weigh these options up like yeah, is a game that is this good underneath the issues worth dropping your hard-earned cash just to experience these issues when you can wait a little bit wait till the patches are out and mm-hmm. then hopefully get a better version of the game that doesn't come with these caveats and one that i can actually praise without <laughs> um asterisks like you mentioned yeah i'm looking forward to getting stuck back into it i think there's like i said there's so much to love uh, i'm going to check back in once i get home tonight after we record this stuff uh, in the afternoon and everything and hopefully those patches have gone a long way i've not seen uh, much more discourse on twitter yet of people applying their patches and then seeing how it plays but like yeah we're going to keep playing this uh, we'll check back in in the coming weeks and everything because there's a lot to love i'm going to be so annoyed by the way if i commit all of this to podcast form and mm-hmm. give it all of these praises and then over the next 10 hours it craps itself i hope it doesn't do that <laughs> But it, it's it's not giving me any indication that it's gonna. No, I guess we'll see because it's it's very rare. I think that I've been this positive on a game this early. Normally, I'm like, mm. oh, we'll wait and see how it goes. They might have more tricks up its sleeve. This is one of those rare games that, technical issues aside, impress me from minute one. Yeah, I'd back that as well. It's just continued to give me more reasons to love it since. Mm-hmm. 
My, so far, I would only, I would only, I can only endorse the first sort of hour and a half or so, and I guess we'll see how it goes. But it makes a stellar first impression. It feels like one of those sequels where the team knew exactly where they wanted to go, um, and it just feels very, very confident. It's just a shame that for whatever reason, the the raw frame rate optimization side of it wasn't, um, you know, prioritized enough or whatever you want to say before launch. But there's so much there, and so we'll keep an eye on it. Um, but yeah, for now, this has been the wind up. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you very soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.